good to be here this morning. We pray that you would teach, we would listen, let your spirit guide and direct in all ways and all things, and really prepare our hearts for what you have to say here this morning. In your name, amen. Hey, continuing our study here through Acts 19, we are at Paul's third missionary journey, and he is in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a beloved place of Paul. He's going to spend about two years here, actually. And if you've ever read the book of Ephesians... He wrote the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. And as we get ready to get into what is going on in Ephesus, he runs into a group of about 12 guys, and he has a really interesting conversation with them. So just keep in the back of your mind, he's on his third missionary journey, showed up to Ephesus, a church that he is beloved by, loves, and he's going to spend about two years here, which is a long time for Paul. Acts 19, verse 1, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not as much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and the men were about twelve in all. Now, most of the time when Acts 19 is taught, it gets into this big debate of whether these people were saved or not saved. And people sit here and say, well, they were called disciples in verse 1. So obviously they were saved. And other people said, well, they had not heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8, unless you have the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God. Well, did they know about Jesus in verse 4? And so then we get into this debate. Or people read this and they just want to focus on verse 6. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And that's all they want to talk about is the tongues and the prophecy. I think the problem with that is we're missing the main focus of what's going on here. The main focus of what's going on is these are people who had a desire for the Lord. And when given an opportunity for more, they wanted it. That, that's the main point. These were a group of guys that had a desire for the Lord. There's no doubt about that. But when given an opportunity for more, they wanted it. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning. It is so frustrating. Most of the people that we interact with when it comes to sharing the gospel are probably church-going, God-believing, self-proclaimed Christians who don't want more. And it's this desire to say, Lord, I want more of what you have. If given an opportunity to know Jesus deeper, to take it. And that's what these guys did. When given an opportunity to know more, to go deeper, they said, that's what we want, and that's what we were going to do. They obviously had a relationship, if you will, with who God was, because they had the baptism of John. If you remember the baptism of John in verse 3, that comes from the book of John, where John was baptizing people as a baptism of repentance. Get ready, the Messiah is coming. Get prepared. So it was a baptism to say, my heart is repenting. I want to change. I want to be different. And therefore, I'm preparing my heart for the Messiah. Paul, finding these people, obviously sees that they have a heart. But he notices something is missing. That's why verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, we don't want to infer too much in scriptures, because if you start reading between the lines, you add things. We don't want to do that. But obviously, Paul saw something in verse 2, where they said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And their response is, we have not as much as even heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. Paul said, well, then let me tell you about him. And they wanted more. Let me tell you about who Christ is. And they wanted more. And that's the focus. That's the goal. When given the opportunity for more, they wanted it. And that's what we have to talk about this morning, is do we want everything that the Lord has for us? Can you go with me real quick to Matthew 13? Matthew 13. 
Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower and the seed. Rich and I have talked many times how everything comes back to the parable of the sower and the seed. The parable of the sower and the seed just explains everything. And if you are here this morning and listening, you are in one of these four groups in the parable of the sower and the seed. Every person you run into is going to be one of these four groups of people. We're in it. Which one are we? Matthew 13. Let's go ahead and start in verse 3. Then he spoke with said many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Others fell on the ground, good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9 is important. If you have ears to hear, listen. Listen to what the Lord is trying to say. Everybody falls in one of these four categories. Now, you have to sit here this morning and figure out which category you're in. How do we know? Let the Bible be its own commentary. Verse 18, same chapter. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. You go out, you present the gospel to somebody, you tell them about the truth about Jesus Christ, and guess what? They don't want it. They have no desire. They don't get it. They don't care. They don't want it. And so therefore, since they choose to not want it, to grasp it, to understand it, they have no relationship. Please don't look at it where it says they do not understand it as saying, well, if they would just understand it more. No, the wording is they get it in the sense of I hear what you're saying. I don't want it. So first group of people, they just reject. They just reject what the gospel has to say. They don't want it. Verse 20, he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself, but endures only for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. This is the group that they hear it and they get excited, but there's no root. I always use this example. I remember when we planted the grass in our yard years ago, the first grass to come up was our driveway. For a brief period, our driveway had the most green, lush grass you've ever seen, and it was beautiful. You just want to go lay down in it. The first grass to also die was the grass in the driveway. It has no root. And we see this a lot as a church, verses 20 and 21. They come, they show, they're excited. And it's just that. It's just a temporary excitement. It may last days, it may last weeks, to be quite honest, maybe even last months. But there's no real root. And over the 20 years that I've been teaching out here, you see people show up and they're just pumped. They're excited. They've never seen something like this before. This is the greatest church. It's the greatest teaching, the greatest whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that means we probably won't see it next week. (laughs) If you're that excited already. I remember distinctly probably probably about 12, 13 years ago, there was a lady that showed up and she just absolutely loved this place. And just kept going around how great it was, how wonderful it was, wanted to know about service opportunities, ministry opportunities. She's going to invite all of her friends. I mean, we're going to have to build a bigger addition just for the people she's going to bring next Sunday. She hasn't come back in 12 years. So we're still hopeful. We're still waiting. The point is that there's a lot of initial excitement, but there's no root. And because of verse 21, tribulation, persecution, because of the word, this Christianity thing is a whole lot more difficult than what I thought it was going to be. This whole idea of dying to oneself, making Jesus Lord and Savior, yeah, 
And what happens is sprout up quickly and then disappear. Now, to be honest, I think most of the self-professed Christians that we know probably fall into verse 22. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. They hear it. But there's no fruit. There's no fruit. It says in Luke's gospel, when he describes this, that they bear no fruit to maturity. We're getting into spring here. We're going to start to see blossoms. We're going to start to see trees grow. And you're going to see these blossoms, and they may even produce a bud. But unless they bring fruit to maturity this fall, what's the point of it? You see a lot of people who start to blossom, start to leaf out a little bit. But they bring no fruit to maturity. And what happens in verse 22? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, it chokes them. They just don't know they're choked. They think they're okay. This is what I call in verse 22, plateau Christianity. These are people that you run into. They have no problem saying that they believe in the Bible. They have no problem saying they believe in God. They have no problem coming to church. They're probably very good moral people. They plateau. There's no fruit. There's no nothing. They say the right things. They don't necessarily do the wrong things. But where's the desire for more? Where's the desire to say, I want everything the Lord has to offer? Well, verse 22, there's a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on in life. Work's busy. Home remodel project's busy. Kids' busy. Health isn't good. And what happens is that they start getting choked and they're unfruitful. Take a look at verse 23, though. He who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Hundredfold, sixty, thirty. Not everybody produces the same amount of fruit. This is a good time to remind you, never do comparative Christianity. You have your own calling. You have your own marriage. You have your own vision. You let that be yours. When you start comparing yourself to everybody else, it's going to become a problem. Only one of two things can happen when you compare yourself to somebody else. You are better than them, and so therefore you become prideful. You're not as good as them, so now you become depressed. It just doesn't work. The Lord says, it's you and me. And I don't know if you're at 30, 60, 100 fold, but the point is, you want more. That's what's happening here in Acts 19. Paul runs into these guys. They are willing to say they believe in the Messiah coming. They're willing to say, we have John's baptism of repentance. But Paul says, do you have the Holy Spirit? And they said, no. Paul says, I'm going to let you know more. And they wanted more. Now, here's the problem. Not everybody wants more. It's really comfortable getting into a comfortable spot where the money pays the bills, where the health is okay, the marriage is okay, life is okay, church is okay, ministry is okay. What's the point of more? Because more means uncomfortable. More means stepping out of my comfort zone. More means dying more to self. That's not really appealing. But here's the deal. I don't want to plateau. And I love you guys enough, I don't want you guys to plateau. I don't want just good moral people that are willing to say they believe in God and are willing to come fill a seat. We want people that are saying, listen, I believe in the eternity of heaven and hell and I want to see things change. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, what's the more the Lord has in store for you? Now, here's the problem with that. That sounds too difficult to answer. Can you go with me to John 6? People get tripped up on this. 
What's more? What's my calling? What's my purpose? What's my vision? And there's this paralysis that happens. And therefore, we do nothing because we're constantly analyzing. What should I be doing? And where's my deeper calling? And next thing you know, you're going to be going to Africa. And then you're not going to Africa. Well, now you're starting up a Bible study. And then now you don't know what to do. And you forget sometimes the simplicity of Jesus Christ. Please remember what Corinthians says. The simplicity of Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Here's point one. Start at the beginning. You can't get simpler than this. John 6, start in verse 28. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. That's God's first will for your life. Know who Jesus Christ is. Let's start right there. The first thing God wants you to know is to know his son and to know who Jesus Christ is and understand your Savior. That's the first thing. So if you are here this morning and you don't know that, that's where God wants you to begin. If you're here this morning, you say, okay, James, I got that. Amen. That's your foundation. You already know God's will for your life to know Jesus. Now, let's build on that. Go with me now, please, to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5. Because most of the time people want more. They want to learn more. They want to understand more. Okay, let's see what more is. First Thessalonians, please, chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5 is one of those backwards verses. We're going to read the end and then work backwards. So we've already established that God's will for our life is to know who Jesus is. That's your beginning. Now, how do we build on that? Well, take a look at first, uh, excuse me. Yeah, first Thessalonians 5. Look at verse 18. Look at the second half of verse 18 with me. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Oh, I like that. Simple, straightforward, black and white. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for me. What's God's will for me? Jump back to verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. God's will is for me to comfort and edify, encourage people. Verse 12. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly and love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. What else does God want you to do? Respect the spiritual authority in your life. In verse 13, be at peace. A lot of times people come up to me and they say, what can we do? What can we do for you, Pastor? And I always say, the first thing you can do is pray. First thing you can do is pray for me. Just always pray for me. The second thing you can do is not argue with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. Too much time and energy is put into Christians that don't act like Christians. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Now, if you think that sounded rough in verse 13 about be at peace, he goes rougher in verse 14. What's God's will for your life? You see somebody unruly, warn them. That's not good. That's not biblical. That's not of the Lord. I love you enough to tell you this. Okay, you see somebody faint-hearted, comfort them. You see somebody weak, uphold them. Be patient with all. That's God's will. Verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's what it is. So when we lay the foundation... Of in Acts 19, they wanted more. And then we go to Matthew 13 and realize the parable of the sower and the seed. The good ground, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, desiring more. We sit there and we get paralyzed saying, well, what's more? What does God want me to do? John 6, know who Jesus is. After that, 1 Thessalonians 5, comfort people, love people, encourage people, rebuke people. What does that look like? 
Well, wherever you're at, I'm sure you have neighbors that need comforted. Wherever you're at, I'm sure you have brothers and sisters in the Lord that are unruly that need warned. Wherever you're at, I'm sure that you need to make sure that you're living at peace and praying always and being thankful. That's what the Lord wants. Now, does it get more specific after that? You bet. There become specific callings. Specific callings of knowing where you're supposed to minister and serve. But this is the basics right here of wanting more. Now, the question is, do we really want that? Once again, I think a lot of us, going back to the parable of the sower and the seed, is I'm really content right where I'm at. I'm a good person. But we're looking for people that want to go deeper. So how do we get over this hump of wanting to go deeper? Well, what did Paul do? Paul said, you need the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And when you have the Holy Spirit and understand who Jesus is, that's when things really begin to change in your life. So let's talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. Can you go with me to John 14, please? As you're going to John 14, you know, Paul lays hands on them and they receive the Spirit and they speak in tongues and they prophesy. Some people get really tripped up in verse 6 about the speaking in tongues. And that's all they focus on. I heard a teaching years ago that said if you look in the book of Acts, that there are six times that the Holy Spirit came upon people. And three of those times, they spoke in tongues, and three of the times that they didn't. And I, I thought, okay, that's a good teaching. And as I was going through this, I thought, I really want to confirm that. So I spent some time yesterday and started going through the book of Acts and looking at the times. And there is, there's at least three references to where people had the Holy Spirit laid upon them, and they spoke in tongues. But then there's also references where the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they didn't. We've got to be careful that we don't get so focused on that word tongues. Tongues is a beautiful gift. It's a wonderful thing. We believe that. We teach that. If you want to know more about that, I encourage you to go read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift the Lord can use. But let's not take that and make that the point of doctrine. The point of the doctrine there in Acts 19 is these people needed the Holy Spirit and they needed to know who Jesus Christ was. That's the point of knowing more and going deeper. So we've established the idea of going more and going deeper. What about the role of the Holy Spirit? Follow along with me. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The helper, the Holy Spirit. Who doesn't want a helper? Doesn't everybody want a helper? Don and I have this ongoing joke at home. I'll come home from church or something, and let's just say they just got done with lunch. Let's just say that she got, just got a load of laundry out or something, so the dishes aren't done, the laundry's there, she's still working on it. I'll say something like, did the maid not show up? Did she forget to come? I know, she doesn't find it funny either. But I find it really funny. I really do. Who doesn't want to help her? I think when people start learning about the Holy Spirit, they start getting freaked out. And I think, wait a second, then you don't understand biblically who the Holy Spirit is. The first description of him that Jesus gives us in John 14 is he's your helper. I like that. Verse 17, the spirit of truth. I like that. We live in a world where there is no truth anymore. You can believe whatever you want with no ramifications. Then we say, well, wait a second. No, there's the spirit of truth. That this is truth. And this truth is black and white and eternal. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Holy Spirit's with you and in you. Paul says in Romans 8, straightforwardly, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not of God. The Bible makes it clear the Holy Spirit living inside of you is a seal, a down payment, an inheritance that you are God's child. So therefore, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as believers. If you are here this morning and you are saved, the Holy Spirit has come and it now, verse 17, dwells with you and in you. That's amazing. 
God took up residence in you. Paul said in Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever you go, God is with you. Now, that's both good and bad. Wherever you go, he's leading you, guiding you, and empowering you. But wherever you go, he also knows what you're thinking, what you're doing behind closed doors and dark rooms. But the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. But he's our helper. He's the spirit of truth. Let's build on this. Same chapter, verse 26. But the helper, there's our word again, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. He teaches, brings to remembrance. When you're out there speaking, representing Jesus, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit moving and working in you. When I get up to teach, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit moving and working. So therefore, when I'm teaching, the Holy Spirit is bringing to remembrance. This is his role as the helper. He's the spirit of truth. He brings to remembrance. He teaches us. Why would we not want this? Jump ahead one chapter to 15, please. 1526. But when the helper, note the theme, comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, which proceeds from my Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit points people towards Jesus. I am always leery of any church or ministry that makes their focus promoting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't promote the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit promotes Jesus Christ. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, is to push people towards a relationship with Jesus, and hopefully that they want it. Chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What a crazy verse. Jesus says, guys, it's better for me to leave. Wait a second. It is better for Jesus to not be on the earth? Yeah. Because when I'm on the earth, I'm at one place at one time. But when I leave and you have the helper, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he will be with you all at all times, leading you, guiding you, directing you. When Jesus walked on this earth for 33 years, I would have to track Jesus down, get Jesus' attention, ask Jesus a question. He could be one place at one time. But when Jesus left, he says the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you What an amazing blessing that is. Verse 8, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. That's what we want. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. There's a term that we use, it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's this idea of where it's no longer you. It is no longer you. It's all him. He leads you. He guides you. He empowers you. See, we talked about the Holy Spirit being with you and in you. There's another word in Acts 1a where it says the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Upon you. And it's this vision, this idea of just being completely full and saying, Lord, I don't even exist. It's all you. How can I live for you? I want more. And in Acts 19, those guys said, we want more. But the truth is today, do we really want more? A lot of us are just kind of content with where we're at. I mean, things are going okay. You're kind of asking us to go to crazy level. And I don't know if I want to do crazy level. I want to do comfortable level. I got two examples to finish with. One went to crazy level and one stayed at comfortable level. And then we're done. Can you go with me to Isaiah 6? Let's go crazy level first. 
Isaiah chapter 6. This is the calling of Isaiah. Isaiah 6 verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. First thing we have to stop and ask ourselves is, who's on the throne? That's what we've got to ask. Isaiah saw God on the throne. Who's on the throne of your life? Who leads and controls you? If you're on the throne of your life, that is a big, big danger. If you're the one deciding what you should do, where you should work, who you should marry, where should you live, what your day should look like, I would highly encourage you to step back and say, why are you on the throne of your life? Now, what I notice with most Christians is this. They want the Lord to be on the throne of their life, but they're not willing to get off the throne. So what happens is this. When it comes to a really big decision, a big decision, oh, I need to get off the throne so that way the Lord can lead me. Big decision over. Okay, God, I'll take the throne back now. Or it comes to a crossroads in life and there's a health issue, there's a drama, there's a destruction, there's something bad going on. And you realize, I don't want to be on the throne. I, can I get off the throne now? And you put the Lord back on the throne, but then, situation over, everything's okay now, I'll take the throne back, Lord. And it's this on going on again, off again. See, Isaiah saw the Lord was on the throne and the first thing you got to say is, who, who's really leading your life? Is it really the Lord or is it you? I see so many Christians... That just, they move on with their life. And there's really not a thought of just, I'm going to seek the Lord on everything. And the more I study the Bible, when it says everything, I really think it means everything. Lord, lead us, guide us. So, who's on the throne? Verse 2, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Next thing you need to understand is the holiness of God. You got to understand how holy God is. And to understand how holy God is, you have to understand how sinful you are. See, until you understand your sin, you'll never understand God's holiness. If you just still think I'm really just not a bad person, you'll never understand the holiness of God. Isaiah got it, verse 4, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out and the house was filled with the smoke. So I said, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I have to realize that I'm a sinner that lives with sinners, that works with sinners, that goes to church with sinners in a world of sinners. But the problem is when we look at ourselves as sinners, we just think, yeah, I'm not not that bad. I mean, I'm not great. I'm not perfect. No. If you don't fully get how unclean we are, what Jesus did on the cross will never be as powerful as what it could be. Because if we think he just died to make ourselves a little better, no, we were completely unclean and sinful. And and Jesus came down and died for us and lived for us. And when we understand verse 3 of holy, holy, holy... That changes everything. It used to really bother me when I would see people that claim to be Christians but not have a heart for the gospel. And I heard at a pastor's conference one time, the pastor said, those who have been most touched by the gospel are the ones that most want to share the gospel. When you really understand the holiness of God and our sin, you stop and say, why would I not want to tell everybody? Look what Jesus did for me. I, I can remember a real quick story. Right after Dawn and I got married, we happened to be working at the same place. And here we are, just two kids, 19 years old, we're married. And so we're working at the same place, and I was talking to one of the ladies one time that worked there, and she put together that Dawn and I were married. And so she goes, she goes, you're married to Dawn? I said, yeah. And I remember she looked at me, she goes, how did you get Dawn? That's what she said. And I think she was implying that, that 
Dawn married up. That's what I think she was trying to imply. But now years later, I think she really meant, how did I get Dawn? How did you get Jesus? He's holy. Well, the Lord saw the potential in me. And he really thought that he could use me to reach the lost. No. He saw nothing in you. You brought nothing to the table. And he still died for you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And once you get this, verse 6, And one the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. He took it away. He took it away. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I did nothing. He did it. What's the only thing I can do to respond to this? I see God on the throne. I see his holiness. I see my sin. I see how he takes away my sin. Most of us stop right there and just say, content, saved, comfortable. No. Verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. The only reaction to understanding God's holiness on the throne, my sin, his salvation is to say, Lord, for the rest of my life, I want to do what you want me to do. And the only way I can do that is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you lead me, guide me, and empower me. I don't want just the Holy Spirit with me. I don't want the Holy Spirit in me. I want the Holy Spirit upon me. I want everything you have to say, and I want to grow and go deeper. So in Acts 19, when Paul says, If you receive the Holy Spirit, those guys say, no, tell us. We want it. We want more. Here's our last reference, please. Mark 10. We talked about the guy that wanted it, the guy that desired it. What's the other side? Mark 10. When you put together the gospel accounts of the different story of Mark 10, you get the story of the rich young ruler. And he had everything. He had his health. He had power. He had money. He had everything except one thing, a relationship with Jesus, verse 17. Now, as he was going out, Mark 10, verse 17, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Note the excitement, running, kneeling. This guy is passionately wanting more, right? Verse 18, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that's God. I need to make this quick, but you're going to run into a lot of false cults and a lot of false religions. They're going to point out verse 18 to you and say, see, Jesus himself even says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. Please remember, anytime you read in the Bible, Jesus asking a question. He's never asking a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking a question to make you think. So when he says to Peter, who do you say that I am, Peter? So when Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. He's looking, he's searching, he's probing, saying, are you putting me on the same level as God? Do you understand the goodness I am? Verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. I'm a good guy. I read my Bible. I serve in the back. I pray. I do this. I fast. I'm a good person. Verse 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Don't skip over those two words, loved him. Loved somebody enough to speak truth to them. Said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. Jesus needs a better PR guy. you got a guy that's willing to come. you got a guy that's willing to go more. And the only thing you can tell him, Jesus, in verse 21, sell everything, take up your cross, and follow me? 
Yeah. See, the thing is, we're not trying to preach a comfortable Christianity. We're trying to preach a deeper understanding who the Lord is. What's the guy's response? Verse 22. He was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Please note, Jesus didn't chase after him. The guy didn't want it. And I'm sure the guy could go find some place to make him feel better. And I'm sure the guy could go find some place that would say, Hey, we love you. You're rich. You're young. You bring power, wealth, money, and you fill the seat. We'd love to have you. Jesus said, Yeah, but you're not right with me. And I want you to be right with me. I tell you, what the church doesn't need are more people filling seats. What the church needs is more people saying, I want to go deeper. What the church needs is more people that say, I don't want the Holy Spirit just with me and in me. I want the Holy Spirit upon me. Upon me. And I want to go deeper. I want more. I want that baptism. And what I want to close with today is this. And worship team, if you want to come forward. Is we want to pray with you. If you want that. So, Richard, are you in here, Rich? You may be out there yet. Uh, Richard and I want to stick around here. And we want to pray with you. Marv will close you out with a word of prayer. And they got a really great song here to close. And I want you to think about these words. Especially that phrase they repeat of holy. And if during the song you want to pray, come on up. If you want to pray after the song, come on up. But I just want to tell you this, and I appreciate you guys. I know, I know we're kind of getting out a little late here. I appreciate this. If you want more, we want you to have more. We'll come lay hands on you. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Because what's the point of just plateauing? What's the point of just kind of going through life? No, there's more, 30, 60, 100, and it's through the Holy Spirit where I get God's will. He wants me to know him. Okay, I get I'm supposed to live the life, but, but there's more. And that's what we want to pray with you for. And if you want that, come on up during the song. We'll lay hands on you and pray with you. Come up after the service. I won't be back there to shake your hands. Hey, have a blessed week. Have a blessed day. Don't forget, next Sunday there's a VBS prayer meeting going on um, in between services. But hey... Let's just pray real quick. Lord, help us. We want more. What does that look like for us as individuals? Reveal that. Show that. And if there's somebody right now you're speaking to saying they need this, if they want it, we want to pray with them. To never be the same, but to go deeper in you and your name. Amen. We'll go over to the guys for the final song. The Marvel close you out. Rich, what's going on?